Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is reporter Brooklyn Hahn to talk about two big developments in the commission lawsuits. We're ready to jump in, but I want to say thank you first to our sponsor, Truve, for their support of this podcast. Brooklyn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you on. We have two pretty big developments in the commission lawsuit ongoing saga, uh, specifically related to Sitzer Burnett. So why don't you walk us through those? Um, The first one maybe is um, with Keller Williams. Absolutely. So in the middle of last week, um, Keller Williams, which is one of the defendants in the Sitzer Burnett suit, which is the lawsuit uh, in Missouri that trial took place in October, where the jury found the real estate industry liable for colluding to artificially inflate real estate agent commissions. Um, In that lawsuit, the defendants originally were Keller Williams, National Association of Realtors, Anywhere, Remax, and Home Services of America. Um, and prior to the trial in October, we had both Remax and Anywhere settle the Sitzer Burnett lawsuit, as well as the Moral and the No Select suits. So the settlements were all kind of tied into one bundle for those three uh, commission lawsuits, which were kind of like the original three home seller commission lawsuits that we had. Um, and so in the trial, it was just Home Services of America, Keller Williams, and the National Association of Realtors. But last week, Keller Williams um, basically filed and notified the judge in the Sitzer Burnett and the Morrill lawsuit um, that it had settled, um, reached a settlement agreement with the plaintiffs in those two lawsuits, as well as um possibly no select as well, um, if they're allowed to join in on this one, like they did with the Sitzer Burnett and Moral lawsuits. Um, yeah, they had reached a settlement. Um, the settlement for the amount for the settlement is $70 million. And according to Keller Williams, that it, the agreement settles all home seller commission lawsuits. And they also said that the $70 million um, that they would pay would not impact their financial position. The terms of the settlement agreement are basically exactly the same as the settlements for Remax and Anywhere. So it includes provisions to no longer require agents to be members of the National Association of Realtors or follow NAR's Code of Ethics or the MLS Handbook. Um, and then there are some practice changes as well, including you know, making sure or encouraging agents to make it clear to clients the commissions are negotiable. Um, and that, you know, the agents will have the freedom to set or negotiate commissions as they see fit with the clients. So things like that as well. And also that these agents and brokers will not be required to make offers of compensation or accept offers of compensation from cooperating brokers. Um, and because the agree or the settlement terms are more or less the same across the board for these um, with the Keller Williams settlement, as well as with the Remax and Anywhere settlement. Um, the plaintiffs in the Mueller suit have already, or the the moral suit have already filed a motion in support of approval of that settlement. Remax and Anywhere, their settlements um, have been preliminarily approved, um, and the final approval hearing date for those settlements is set for early May. Um, basic, 
based on kind of what we've seen, we're expecting the Keller Williams um, settlement to be approved as well. Um, but, you know, there's still the potential for DOJ involvement. So, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, but it is looking positive right now for Keller Williams. It is a good sign that the the settlement that Anywhere and Remax uh, reached with plaintiffs was accepted, you know, has been pre- preliminarily accepted. We haven't had anybody jump in and say, no, they can't do that. So it makes sense to me. Did um, Keller Williams go into the reasoning behind why they decided to settle at this time? Uh, it was more or less just because of kind of the ongoing drama of this this commission lawsuit saga. And it was kind of impacting the firm's ability to function as a real estate brokerage and help and serve clients the way it wants. And there was just so much uncertainty that it was kind of getting in the way of the business of brokerage and the business of what Keller Williams is. Um, So they decided to settle at this time. Um, You know, it's... It it was definitely interesting that they you know went through with the trial and had ultimately decided to settle now. But I feel like they're they're pleased with this choice. There was a letter that Gary Keller sent out to all of the agents, brokers, franchisees last week when they announced the settlement, and a lot of it was about kind of refocusing and getting back to the basics of the business and you know doing good. Yeah, real estate transactions and helping clients and, you know, doing what agents do best instead of focusing on all the drama and all of the uncertainty surrounding what's happening with these commission lawsuits. Of course, that is just one lawsuit that they're named in, right? So the settlement is just for the Sitzer Burnett lawsuit, correct? No, it is not actually. Um, According to Keller Williams, this settles all of the home seller commission lawsuits. So any of the lawsuits that they or their franchisees are named in, um, where the plaintiffs are home sellers. Keller Williams is also named in the Batten 1 suit, which is the original Batten lawsuit, and that was filed by a home buyer. Um, And the Batten suits are currently the only ones that have been filed by a home buyer. Um, So this does not deal with that lawsuit, but any of the commission lawsuits that were filed by a home seller, this settles those lawsuits for Keller Williams. Thanks for that clarification. Yeah, it's interesting to me that there's one from a home buyer since obviously um, you would think that they would be the ones who would be benefiting from the the current practice, but uh, interesting. Well, okay. The, the other defendant besides NAR in that Sitzer Burnett suit, they also home services, right? They, we had some news on them yesterday. Yes, absolutely. So on late on Friday, Home Service of America filed a writ of certiary, which is basically a letter to the Supreme Court. Um, and they were asking the Supreme Court to weigh in on how its motion to compel arbitration in the Sitzer Burnett suit was handled by the Eighth Circuit. Um, and it basically in all of Home Service of America's client contracts, Um, There's a statement that the signatories can arbitrate any claim or dispute arising out of the contract. So the the home sellers or home buyers, whoever signs that contract with an agent with Home Service America or one of their affiliates, um, is if there's a claim or a dispute on something that comes out of the contract, they are supposed to be able to arbitrate that claim. And so Home Service of America filed a motion to compel arbitration because of that statement within the contracts. 
Um, and it's a little bit like funky legal territory because the plaintiffs who signed the contract sued a non-signatory parent company of the signatory brokerages um, because Home Service America was not technically the brokerage that the plaintiffs that are, you know, are, are suing the company uh, who sold their house. They're the parent company of, you know, a Berkshire Hathaway affiliate or something like that. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird legal territory. And because of that, um, the lower court ruled and denied this motion. So they appealed to the eighth circuit and, um, the eighth circuit, uh, basically they applied Missouri state law to determine if arbitration, um, or if the arbitration agreement in the client contracts could be in fact arbitrated, um, and it basically determined that under Missouri state law, Home Service America would have to be listed as a third party beneficiary on the contract. And because Home Services was not, they are unable to compel arbitration. Um, and in this, the writ of certiary, Home Services claimed that uh, the Eighth Circuit violated the Federal Arbitration Act when it you know, made this decision to apply Missouri state law and you know, rule on its ability to compel arbitration in this way. Um, and it's basically asking the Supreme Court to kind of reverse that decision and, you know, feels that it would also lead to the reversal or the potential reversal of the overall jury verdict in the Sitzer Burnett lawsuit. So, you know, it's the Supreme Court only hears so many cases each year. It remains to be seen if they will see this one. Um, I have been told by Home Services of America that they are also, the Supreme Court is also considering a similar case that deals with arbitration and the ability to compel arbitration. So, you know, it might take one or the other. We don't know. Um, but if it does, I think it'll be, you know, some interesting legal precedent that's set that obviously has impact outside of just the real estate industry. Um, but, you know, could definitely have you know a decent impact on what may go- happen with the Sitzer Burnett suit. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how the companies are taking different tacks, right? Um, you yeah. know, after the verdict, what we heard from NAR a lot and have since then is like, oh, you know, well, there'll be appeals, we'll appeal. But, you know, to appeal, mm-hmm. you have to have some grounds to appeal. You can't just be like, hey, we don't like the verdict, let's go back to it. So interesting to see how these uh, two companies have, have handled it. One's like, let's settle. Um, and understandably, the other's like, you know, uh, found found this part that could be um, compelling. We'll see if the Supreme Court, like you said, decides to take it up. Otherwise, what's already been decided stands and, um, and you know, they'll have to come at it from another uh, perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Home Services and National Association of Realtors both still have the option to settle. Um, you know, I both have vowed repeatedly to fight and appeal this lawsuit um, and the verdict. Um, you know, the tricky thing with an appeal is that it's not a brand new trial. It's a ruling on how the law was applied in the original trial. Um, so, you know, who knows what the outcome of that would be or if, you know, it's they even have grounds for an appeal. Um, but, you know, it, it remains to be seen. It's definitely a bit of a waiting game. We're not expecting a final ruling on this for still, you know, potentially another four or five months, um, which is kind of just... It, it just feels like this ongoing saga, but, um, you know, hopefully we'll have some answers in the next couple of months. 
Yeah, this is amazing because obviously this this trial, um, the the trial was the culmination of a very long series of events leading up to it, right? So um, these companies have already been fighting this for quite a while. Anything else as far as the news um, on specific other other commission lawsuits that we're seeing? Sure. So the commission lawsuit in Nevada um, was originally super interesting because it had no brokerages named as defendants in the suit. That changed, of course, and a um, amended complaint was filed and 15 brokerages were added to the suit as defendants, um, which included some Berkshire Hathaway affiliates, EXP, um, Open Door, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Keller Williams and some KW franchises, which obviously, you know, if the settlement is approved for Keller Williams, they would be dismissed from the suit. Um, Redfin and Douglas Elliman of Nevada, as well as a few other companies. So that one's looking more like a quote unquote traditional commission lawsuit at this point in time, because there's, you know, you have your realtor associations, your brokerages and some MLSs as well named in that one. Um, And then the um, commission lawsuit in Pennsylvania. They also filed an amended complaint um, where the two Anywhere affiliates that were named as defendants were dismissed, and that had to do with um, Anywhere settlement agreement. Um, so it was Caldwell Banker Realty and Piat Sotheby's International Real Estate. They were dismissed, um, voluntarily dismissed by the plaintiffs from that lawsuit. Um, and then five local brokerages were added to the suit. Um, kind of wouldn't say in place of, but they were additions to the suit as anywhere's franchises were taken off. Um, and then today we also saw um, in the Mizello suit in Arizona, Walt Danley Local Luxury, which is an affiliate of Christie's International Real Estate, was dismissed from that lawsuit, um, by voluntarily dismissed by the plaintiffs. Um, and I don't have an answer as to why. It just reads on the filing that the defendant had not served an answer or motion for summary judgment um, in the suit. So they were voluntarily dismissed. Um, and I reached out to Christie's and they didn't wish to comment. Man, I mean, it is just, um, I'm so thankful that you're keeping up with this. And we have, obviously, we have a whole homepage dedicated to commission lawsuits because literally every day I see you do another story on this, you know, we're we're, we're covering it from all angles. So I just, I appreciate that so much. I feel like nobody has their finger on the pulse of this as much as you do, Brooklyn, because you literally, this is what you're eating and sleeping right now. Basically, yeah, I mean... The first thing I do every morning is check LexisNexis to see if there's any updates on court dockets. So there there always seems to be something. So it keeps me on my toes for sure. It does. And it keeps the industry on their toes too. I mean, um, so regularly talk to people in the industry, in uh, real estate, just like you do. And we you know one of the questions they want to know is like, when are we going to know the answer to like, what is the, what is the final decision? When do we need to actually change things? You know, what is it going to look like? And there's still a lot of things up in the air. Now we've seen with some of the settlements, right, that they've, they've said, okay, here are the, here are the processes or policies that we're going to change. And so I think you could say, you know, very um, at a high level that you could say that those 
policies that have changed are probably going to be changed for for many. And if you're a brokerage out there and you haven't gotten to trial yet, or you haven't even been named, you're probably looking at those things. Definitely. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Um, You know, most people feel that the settlement agreements kind of offer a good window into what the kind of potential outcome or the results of the final ruling will look like. Um, A lot of people still think, though, that some of these changes are not quite enough to make the DOJ happy. I don't know that for a fact. Um, Kind of probably the DOJ is the only one who knows that. Um, So we'll see if they decide to get involved. If they do, then obviously we know that what's in the settlement agreements is not enough for the DOJ. Um, They have yet to, you know, get involved in this suit. They are involved in the no select lawsuit, but on the settlement agreement for MLS PIN. Um, And they've been going back and forth a little bit with that settlement agreement. But in regards to the others, they haven't expressed interest yet. Um, If it stays that way, they might get final approval. Um, Obviously, that's up to the judge. But um, it's a waiting game. And it's definitely tough for a lot of people in the industry. It really is. Well, as much as you are paying attention and and covering the commission lawsuits, that's not all you do for us. (laughs) It might surprise people to know you have uh, several other beats that you keep a a really close eye on. And one of those is wire fraud um, under your title beat. And so, you know, we just had a new um, survey come out from uh, certified. Would love to talk to you about that and and what what that survey showed for the industry. Absolutely. So, Yeah, also covering a lot of wire fraud and cybersecurity, which has been keeping me busy as well these past couple of months. It's been a rough few months um, for mortgage and title companies when it comes to their cybersecurity. And wire fraud is kind of this this constant threat. Um, And the title industry is really the, the industry that has kind of stepped up to try to help deal with this and help educate consumers and other industry professionals um, about kind of the risks involved. Um, And yeah, Certified released earlier today, uh, uh, earlier on Tuesday, it's 2024 State of the Wire Fraud Report, um, and found that nearly 25% of the 650 U.S. homebuyers and sellers it surveyed were targeted with suspicious or potentially fraudulent activities during their home buying or selling experience. Um, And then 10% of those respondents were targeted for real estate fraud and 5% suffered losses during their real estate transaction due to a fraudster. Um, So, you know, definitely quite a bit of fraud. Another recent study that was published by the American Land Title Association um, found that wire fraud, 90% of the, the firms surveyed reported an uptick in wire fraud or that it had remained the same roughly year over year. Um, which is up from just 86% the year prior that reported those two outcomes. Um, And what was interesting in kind of comparing the two studies was that um, certified study looked at consumers and a lot of consumers felt that uh, they were not being educated by their, you know, real estate industry professional, whether that's their title agent, their attorney that's, you know, helping them with their closing, their real estate agent or their lender. And, you know, the vast majority, so 71% of respondents said they expect, you know, their real estate professional that they're working with, um, you know, f- obviously there's multiple in the transaction, that they expect one of those professionals 
to take the initiative and educate them about the risks of wire fraud. Um, and they're basically finding that over half of those respondents said that they were not adequately aware of the risks of wire fraud before closing. Um, and that, you know, that in 60% of the surveyed respondents reported that their real estate agent provided little to no information discussing the risks of wire fraud. Um, and But then we go over to the Alta survey, which looked at title professionals. Um, and we see something a little bit different. Um, with like 85% of respondents saying that they included uh, you know, warnings about the risks of wire fraud on every single email they sent. Um, 67% said they um, also ha- sent you know, oral warnings, whether it was like in person talking to their client or over the telephone. Um, you know, 41% even mailed like information like, through the actual like physical mail to their clients. Um, you know, another 41% have warnings on their title company's website. Um, so the title industry and the professionals that were surveyed by Alta are, you know, appear to be doing things to educate consumers. But, you know, according to what we're seeing from Certified's consumer study, those consumers are not getting the message. And so whether it's just they're they're not paying attention or you know, they're expecting to have this information from their real estate agent and it's coming from the title company. So they're not paying as close attention. That could be part of it. But there's definitely this divide. And, you know, in order to best protect consumers, education is key to this because a consumer, an average consumer, you know, only buys a house, you know, once every 12 to 15 years. And so their real estate professionals are doing this, you know, possibly hundreds of times a year. Um, And, it's it's they have the experience so they should be you know working to educate these consumers so they know the risks it's also one of those things that um you know we talk about it's tied into the commission lawsuits in the sense of the value of a buyer's agent right we've talked about this as like oh you know is it what you know as as the um, plaintiff's attorney said, he was like, you know, we've got Zillow. We don't need buyer's agents, whatever. It's like, this is clearly one of those cases, you know, one of those instances where buyer's agents can provide a huge benefit. So when I sold a house in Wichita, I had a great um, real estate agent and their office was so good. I really liked the way that they made sure that I was prepared before we ever got to closing and before I ever talked to the title company about what that looked like. And I feel like they, you know, yeah. so even if, even if those real estate agents are saying, oh yeah, we do all this. It's like the execution really matters. Did you, okay, you put a, this little line in the email that nobody reads down that far, or, you know, it, you have to, you have to just figure out what is it that is going to get through to this consumer. And, you know, a, another um, thing, I another personal story, I'm buying a house now and my real estate agent set up a third party inspection. It's a, it's a new build. And that person went out there, they did it and I was going to pay them. And I got an email from this other company that was like, Hey, you know, um, you know, so glad the inspection went well, you know, glad you've decided to pay this at closing and, you know, just, you know, basically like inserting themselves in the payment process. They didn't want to get paid right then. They just wanted to be included in the closing. Well, I, I'm like, this is super weird. I talked to the, um, you know, the inspection firm. They're like, we've never heard of this person. I, I talked to the real estate agent. She's like, I did absolutely didn't, you know, connect with them. Nobody knows who they are. 
So it's just another way of like a very sneaky way of like, hey, let us, you know, of course you're going to pay this at closing. So like, you know, um, just getting more details about the closing so that they can come in at the last minute. There's no way consumers can keep up with this. It's hard enough for the professionals to keep up with this. So I understand why, you know, consumers are like, hey, I expect someone to be helping me on this because it's just ever evolving and ever changing. Absolutely. And there, there's constantly new scams. Um, you know, kind of what you experience is like in business email compromise. Um, and that's how a lot of wire fraud occurs as, you know, this fraudster kind of inserts themselves in the transaction by spoofing someone else. Um, and they, they just, someone's email gets compromised and they kind of sit and wait and then you know, say, here are the wiring instructions right at the last minute, and you end up wiring everything to a fraudulent account. Um, but it's it's definitely challenging. And then, you know, it's getting, it used to be easy to kind of spot those spoofed emails because the grammar would be off or something, and it would be kind of funky. Um, but now with AI, it's getting even harder to kind of catch those emails. And obviously, we're seeing things with AI in terms of like, uh, spoofing voices. Um, and then you have, you know, the potential of like deep fake videos. It's, it's definitely getting really scary out there. Um, there were some great demonstrations last year at the American Land Title Association conference, um, in Colorado Springs that, you know, showed the, the real kind of potential uses of AI with how fraudsters might use them and how they could try to trick you into, you know, sending information or money into the wrong hands. Um, so yeah, it's, it's getting harder and harder to detect these attempts. And, you know, even the industry professionals are very concerned about this and they deal with hundreds of transactions a year. So your average consumer is definitely going to need some help and going to need some warnings about, you know, what this looks like and what they need to do to make sure that their transaction stays as secure as possible. The AI implications um, here are just terrifying. If you think about like, you know, oh, we can do a, a video of your, you know, of your agent telling you, hey, this is where you need to go. Or, you know, maybe at least a voice, maybe we're not there yet, but, you know, maybe it's the voice of your agent, you know, calling you and telling you something. So just, it's going to continue to be something we keep a close eye on and, you know, try to expose the different scams and also what people are doing to really combat that. So Brooklyn, so appreciate your reporting and appreciate you coming on here and letting us know the very latest that's going on with the commission lawsuit. Again, I would tell our um, listeners, we do have it all collated in one place. We even have our interactive timeline. You can see um, what was filed when and, and what's the latest there. So helps to, to be able to keep it all straight. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening and thank you to our sponsor, Truve. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.